Bob Russell said one time that it takes, for, for every negative comment about something, it takes 20 words of encouragement to overcome that one uh, word of negativity. So I really appreciate all the comments. And, and uh, someone said that uh, the pastor needs the heart of a child, the head of a theologian, and the skin of a rhinoceros. And uh, so I didn't think I had that skin, uh, so I became a licensed basketball official a few years ago. So that's toughened me up some. So, But we do appreciate the encouragement. Thank you to everyone who's here today and who are watching online in our 16th week of our study. Uh, and before I go any further, I know there's some people watching online today. We, we've got a whole group of people that watch online every every week, and we appreciate them so much. One that I want to send out a special greeting to this morning is Patty Palmer. Patty, I know you and Joe are watching. You're faithful watchers, and today is Patty's birthday, and so we wish Patty a happy birthday, and we wish Mike Imley a happy birthday today. Mike is worshiping up in the crow's nest this morning. That doesn't mean he's an old crow. That just means he's up in the crow's nest worshiping with us this morning. But Mike does a lot for us. I appreciate him. But anyway, we've only got a couple more weeks in this incredible book uh, that we've been studying. You might remember last summer we started and then we took a break and now we picked it back up. Today we're in chapter 15. And last week we learned in chapter 14 that Paul clearly states that there is a right and there is a wrong. And then there are some things that kind of lie in between that are matters of personal conviction. But the bottom line is this. We need to learn to accept one another and let these things that are a matter of personal conviction not divide us. Right? When those things that come up that might be a matter of personal conviction for someone and not another, we still need to love one another and we need to maintain harmony and unity within the body of Christ. Harmony is so important, unity is so essential. When I was in high school, I was in the show choir. I know Sandy's proud of me for that. Whoop, whoop over there. Sandy's really excited for me. Uh, and and uh, one thing I didn't really think about when I went into show choir was I thought I could sing, but I knew I couldn't dance. Uh, and, and that's what you have to do. You have to learn to dance in the show choir. And so I had to do that. And, and actually, it came to me pretty quickly. I actually, you know, I can do it a little bit. You know, I didn't like it, but I could do it a little bit. Uh, I wasn't terrible. However, my partner was... Um, and uh, she could sing like a bird, uh, but she danced like a rhinoceros. I mean, it was, it was, and, and I liked her, and she's not watching, so I can, you know, I can cut her a little bit. No, uh, she, um, she, she was an incredible singer, but she just had trouble keeping with everybody else. She could do all the dance moves. It just wasn't at the same time everybody else was doing, and, and so you can imagine what that kind of looked like and and so again she was really really nice she could really sing I really really liked her but she couldn't dance to save her life and and you know what happens when you're watching this whole group of people on stage and they're all dancing and everybody's together but one well actually two because I was her partner and because she was out I'm blaming her I was out as well and and it just wasn't great and every time we would go to a competition we would go to show choir competitions and every time we would get dinged at every competition 
for our choreography. Now, they didn't single her and me out at the same, you know, uh, as part of it, but I knew what they were thinking whenever they were dinging us on our choreography because everybody else had it together. And, and she and I did not. We were out of step. And it's hard in a show choir to be out of step with the rest of the group and, and really make it you know, pretty good. It's going to look bad if you're not. The same is true vocally. All the vocals better be in tip-top shape, and if somebody is out, then it's going to be really, really noticeable. In fact, some of the best moments in our show choir performances was when my partner sang a solo, and we sang back up. And it wasn't just because we weren't dancing, and sitting, we were sitting on still stage because she we could really sing. But if there's somebody in the group while we're practicing, if they were just way off, it was very, very noticeable. One of my all-time favorite Andy Griffith episodes. You, you guys know where I'm going with this before I even start because you've seen it. was when Barney was singing in the community choir. Do you remember this episode? Singing in the community choir. He's just singing really, really loud. He's really, really off-key and... and um, he keeps moving around. Remember, I'm, hey, he goes up to the director. He goes, hey, you just keep this going. I'm going to work my way through the crowd. And I'm going to figure out who it is. He didn't know it was him. And so every time he would go up to somebody and just kind of listen in, he kept singing, and they would stop singing because he was so bad. And eventually, as he go, works his way through the whole choir, um, everybody stops singing, and he's singing all by himself. So they figure out that it's Barney pretty quickly, right? And then do you remember the solution? If you don't, let me help you out here. Let's, let's watch this. Bear with me for about three or four minutes while we watch some Andy Griffith. Everybody okay with that? All right, very good. This here is a solo microphone. Very, very sensitive. This thing will amplify your voice a thousand times. Really strong. Strong. You blast away at this thing, and you'll bust every eardrum in the auditorium. <laughs> what do I do? You have to sing real low, real low. Now try it. Balmy and light. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Too loud. Low. Balmy and light. That, that's still too loud, Bonnie. When I mean low, I mean real low. <laughs> Don't take much to be heard. Try it again. Balmy and life-breathing breezes are blowing. Is that all right? No, that's still too loud, Barney. It's still way on too loud. Believe me now, tomorrow night when, when this microphone's hot and the amplifiers are amplified and the acoustics and all, well, I tell you what, you just keep singing softer and softer, and when you got it about right, I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. <clears throat> Balmy and life breathing. Balmy and life. That's it. That's it. That's it. You got it. Now you do it just like that, and you'll come through fine. Andy, I was barely making a sound. You think you was barely making a sound, but tomorrow night, when this microphone's on. And you sing like that, your glorious voice will reverberate all through this hall. Won't it, Jack?
Oh, wow. Uh, anybody else miss Andy Griffith episodes or TV like that? Wow. Um, it, it's so important to, uh, you, you don't want to be fake, you don't want to be dishonest, but it's so important to build one another up. And this is what Paul is getting at in this letter to the church at Rome. Instead of tearing one another down and being critical of someone who can't do something that maybe you do or maybe does something that you don't think is right or maybe believe something that you don't believe, instead of tearing one another down, it's important to come together. It's important to maybe see our differences and, and talk about them and, and, and let the grace of Jesus Christ permeate the conversation. Paul wrote to the Roman church these words. Words and, and harmony and unity were so critical to his message. Listen to what he says. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. And if anybody had the right to live for himself, don't you think it was Jesus? But he didn't, Right? Even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Now, if you remember from last week, Paul was telling us that sometimes conflict might arise within the church over issues that the Bible really doesn't even speak clearly about. And sometimes those who are strong in the faith have a tendency to look down on those who are weak. And he said, this can't be. In fact, he goes on to say here, he says, you who are strong in the faith, don't, or, or he said this last week, don't be a stumbling block to a weaker brother or sister. In other words, even if it's permissible, even if you're allowed to do it, even if the scriptures say you shouldn't do it, he's saying you need to really be careful because you could cause a younger brother or sister to stumble in the faith. Just because you can doesn't mean you have to. Right? And then he goes on in chapter 15, he starts to put a more positive spin on things. And there's a couple things, things that he mentions that I think we would, be, uh, we would do well to remember as we move forward in our conversation with one another in the church and how we interact with one another in the church. And it's this, please others instead of ourselves. Please others instead of ourselves. In verses 1 through 3, Paul was saying, listen church, <laughs> You've got to get your own personal likes. You've got to get your own personal wants. You've got to get your own desires. You call it whatever you want. You've got to get those things out of the way and think about other people. Paul knew that we would do well to take into consideration that even Jesus Christ didn't take this attitude. Anybody that, that should have or could have Taking this type of attitude of where I should get whatever I want whenever I want. It should be Jesus. He's the king of kings. But he didn't. He came to serve us. And if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be like 
Christ, then we have to put ourselves out of the way and we have to put others ahead of us as much as possible. And I honestly think this is the number one problem in all of our churches around the world. The desire to have what we want instead of what others might need. The desire to have what we want instead of really what even God wants. We've got to get ourselves out of the way and we've got to put others ahead of ourselves and we've got to put God at the, at the center of everything that we do. And throughout this entire letter, Paul is using, it, it, it's kind of interesting, he takes a little bit of a turn this, uh, in, in this chapter. All throughout it, he's saying, brother, 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 do this, brother, 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 brother. And in this chapter, in 15, he kind of turns his attention from using the word brother. He stops using brothers and starts using the word others in verse 2. He changes from brothers to others. And I think he did this on purpose. I think he was saying, listen, not only do we have to take into consideration how we're treating people within the church, but we also have to take into consideration how we're treating others, how we're treating those outside of the church, those who the NIV calls our neighbors. That's the term that they use. That's why I've titled this sermon, Building Up Neighbors, because not only do we have to build up one another in here, we've got to build up one another out there as well. We have have to be building neighbors. We have to win the world for Jesus. And if all we're ever doing is arguing over things and we're trying to get people to see things the way that we see them. I heard Wayne Smith say this one time. I know that uh, Rusty and I were talking about Wayne a little bit before the service. Rusty Houston and I, and, and I love Wayne Smith. And one thing he used to say is, I have never seen anyone argued into the kingdom. I think that's true. But scores and scores, thousands, millions have been loved into the kingdom. And so we have to build our neighbors up, those outside of the church. I think our problem sometimes is that it's really hard for us to build people up outside of the church when sometimes we're not even building each other up inside of the church. I think sometimes we have the reputation within the church as being, we're just judgy, you know. Uh, I, I talk to a lot of people who, who used to be in church, maybe they grew up in church or they attended church for a while and they stopped going to church because they had a bad experience in the church because someone came down really hard on them or they had this kind of judgy attitude and so they were so tore down that they didn't want to go back. Christianity, Jesus came to turn our way of thinking upside down, right? Especially in this regard to the strong and the weak. The world thinks that if you're strong, you, you need to use your strength to your advantage and even exploit the weak if you need to so that you can get ahead, so that you can put yourself at the top of the ladder. Well, the Bible turns this mindset inside out. And it requires a, a transformed mind from us, right? We have to make sure that those who are strong, not only does the Bible say we have to take into consideration them, we have an obligation to the weak, right? We, we, we who are strong in the faith, we who should know better, we have an obligation to those who are weaker in the faith. This mindset is evident in the Old Testament. 
The Old Testament even talks about how they took care of the widows, how they took care of the orphans, how they took care of the the uh, immigrants, the aliens, if you will. They were to have special consideration, special protection, special benefits. But what was happening was that the world was taking advantage of this group of people or these groups of people. Right? Instead of helping them, the religious leaders even were taking advantage of them. And Jesus, he comes along and he says, no, this, this shouldn't be. You are to serve people. You are to protect the helpless. And it's up to, ch- up to the church to model that. We have to be that example. And Jesus, he came down on the, the uh, leaders in Israel. Then all the religious leaders, they were using their power, they were doing things that they shouldn't do, and they were exploiting the weak, and they were using their position to get ahead in life, and he taught, that, well, he, he tried to teach them, they didn't listen very well, but he taught his disciples that while they were leading this way, and that while Gentile leaders would misuse their power and would cause the weak people to serve them, he said, you, as my followers, are to use your strength to lead other people and to serve other people just as I'm showing you how to do. And both Peter and Paul, they taught the same thing about this. They said, this is how, how you do it. You are to, as elders, he would instruct the elders in the church, he would say, you are not to lord it over the flock. In other words, don't use your position as some type of power to get ahead. You're not to lord it over the flock, but you are to be examples of the flock. And that's the example that all of us need to take. Paul instructed those of you who are thieves, you you must not steal any longer. Stop stealing, but work with your hands so that you can give to others. That's the whole point of it. And the gospel emphasizes these obligations that we have as Christians. Listen, guys, these are not just suggestions. These are obligations that we are to have as Christians, those who are stronger in the faith are to serve those who are weaker. It's not up for debate. This is not one of those things that lies in the middle as a matter of personal conviction. This is what you do, right? Don't pray on the weak. Do not just prevail over them, but instead you are to come alongside them. You are to aid them. This is the whole point of spiritual gifts, right? That's why God gave the church spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given to each believer so that each of us might minister out of what God has given to us, not in our strength, but in the strength that the Lord has given us through this gift. And Paul says, listen, if you're, if you're one of the strong ones, don't harm the weak by judging them and belittling them or ignoring them. He says, come alongside them and use your strength to make up for what they are lacking. Because we're all lacking something, right? I mean, raise your hand if if you've got it all together in here. Okay, good. I want you to raise your hand, though, if you believe that God has given you a spiritual gift. Sure he has. He's given you. And and so while you might lack in one area, someone else comes alongside of you and makes up for where you're lacking. But then you use the gift that you've been given to come alongside someone else and help them in their faith. Put others ahead of yourself. Again, not just a brother or sister within the church, even though that's a good place to start, but it's outside as well. Build up your neighbor. And I'm convinced that when we start building up one another in here 
and we start building up our neighborhoods out there, that's when we're going to see an incredible move of God in this place. I don't care how good the worship might be. I don't care how good the youth programs might be. I don't care how eloquent I might become as a speaker or how eloquent I might not be. If we as the church are able to get ourselves out of the way and put others ahead of what we might want, um, that's when we're going to see some amazing things. If we don't do that, we're never going to become what God wants us to. But when that does happen, when we're able to put others first, when we put God first, when we put others first, here's what the result will be. We will then praise God in unity and harmony. Unity is a beautiful thing. As I demonstrated earlier, being uh, out of step is an ugly thing, right? Uh, as Barney was singing, uh, uh, not very good at, at first, but then, you know, they kind of reeled that in and it was a beautiful thing. When, when you find all the different people, and there's a lot of different people in this church, amen? Right? We're, we're, we're different. We're so different. Our personalities are different. We don't look the same. We don't act the same. We don't make the same. It, we don't live. You know, it's just we're, we're, we've got such a, 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 I guess, kaleidoscope of different people in this church. Do you like that word? I just came up with that. That's a good one. Yeah, thank you. I almost said mosaic, but I didn't think Kendall would know what it meant. Uh, so um, I, I, I thought he could go with. I'm sorry. You deserve that. You were sitting there. not Okay. Anyway. That's what makes us beautiful. This is what the Bible says in, in Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It's a beautiful thing. And I think God looks down at this and he goes, man, that's, that's what makes me really proud. When I see all of these different people coming together, worshiping and putting their differences aside and being unified through Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Peanuts cartoons, you might remember. Uh, we can put it up on the screen. I don't know if you can see it or not, but basically Lucy walks into Linus and tells him to switch channels. He just sits there and doesn't do anything. She said, I said switch channels. I want to watch my program. And he says, are you kidding? What makes you think you can just walk right in here and take over? These five fingers, right? These five fingers, they're nothing. But when I curl them together... Like this, in a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. And he says, which channel do you want? Right? And he sighs, she watches TV, and the last frame, he's looking at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? I think sometimes God looks down at us. Not just our church, but I think all of our churches, the church universe. And he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? Do you understand how potent you would be if you all would just come together? Do you understand how powerful you could be if you all just come together? The thing that makes the church such a positive impact in the world is the unity 
that we experience, or at least it should be. The late great preacher, Dr. Vance Havner, used to say, Christians are like snowflakes. Individually, a snowflake is an insignificant thing, but when you put enough of them together, it can shut down a town and stop traffic. Individually, we might not be all that much. We might seem insignificant, but when you put us together in the body of Christ, we are powerful in the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think sometimes what we do is we think, well, we're just unimportant or we're not all that special. We're not all that gifted. And individually, we might not be all that much, but together, God has made each of us just like just like a snowflake is, uh, all snowflakes are different, I understand, right? They're all completely different, right? And, and, and God can take us in our differences and put them all together and make something really, really beautiful. But what we do sometimes is we focus on our differences instead of those things that we have in common. Max Lucado, in his book, A Gentle Thunder, tells a story. It's not true, but it's about a man who's traveling, came upon a... Uh, another fellow in his trip and he noticed that the guy was carrying a Bible and so he starts up a conversation with him. He says, are you a believer? The guy says. Yes, he said excitedly. And the guy goes on and says, I've learned that you can't be too careful who you fellowship with. So I began to ask him a few more questions. He said, do you believe in the virgin birth? He said, I do. He continues, do you believe in the deity of Christ? No doubt, he replied. And this guy starts to think, could it be that I was face to face with a real Christian brother? Nevertheless, he says, I continue to go through my checklist of things. Do you believe in the return of Christ? I believe it's imminent, the guy said. What about the Bible? The guy responded by saying, it is inspired. The guy says, man, I was, I was starting to get excited. So he, he just continues to push. He says, are you a conservative or a liberal? And he was getting interested in me too. He said, I'm a conservative. He said, my heart started to beat a little faster. He said, what denomination are you a part of? He said, I'm a member of the Southern Congregationalist Holy Son of God Dispensationalist Triune Convention. I was excited because my denomination too. He said, which branch of the denomination are you? He said, I'm a part of the premillennial post-tribulation, non-charismatic, King James only, one cup communion church. My eyes missed it over. He said, that was my branch as well. He said, I only had one more question. Is your pulpit wooden or plexiglass? And the guy said, it's plexiglass. And he said, I recoiled in horror. Get away from me, you heretic. And I walked away. You know, don't we do that? Don't we do that? We think about all of the things that the Bible says, yes, 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 yes. And then these one little things that, that, that's really not even a yes or a do or a don't. It's a matter of personal conviction. Oh, away from me. We don't want no part of that. It's been my experience down through the years that most Christians have way more in common than we have differences. But so, for some reason, we just... We hone in on those differences and we let them divide us. So, what do we do? How, how do we overcome these sorts of things? Here's the first thing. Support the weaker brother. Romans 15.1, we who are strong must be considerate of, the, considerate of those who are sensitive about such, 
about things such as this. The NIV puts it this way. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak. Ought to. You know where that word comes from? Ought. It comes from the Anglo-Saxon word that means you and I have a debt that we owe. You can kind of hear it, right? Owe, ought. We owe something to the newer person. Here's the deal. And this is what I think Jesus is saying to us. You, you could never repay the debt that you owe to me, meaning Jesus. You cannot repay it. You don't have enough. But you do owe something to that weaker brother or sister. And you ought to serve them. And you ought to pay your debt that you owe to me toward them. Right? We are there to support them. Not judge, not be critical of. The NIV says bear with them. That literally means to carry them, to pick them up and carry them. When you come home from the hospital with a newborn baby, how many of you, when you had your first child, you brought your baby home and you just plopped your baby down on the floor and said, all right, buddy, get up and walk. You're on your own. No. You carry that child because it's a newborn baby. And even as the child gets a little bit older and that child starts to walk, you don't immediately start out taking huge steps, you take little baby steps and you're guiding them along the way until they're able to walk on their own because you're accommodating that baby. And then as time goes on, they, they, they start walking better, even to the point of running. Avit now, he'll be two on Saturday. He runs now. He does it with crazy legs. I mean, he does it, he's, he's kind of like that when he runs, but it's, it's, we call him his crazy legs, but he can do it. But he didn't do that immediately. It took him two years to get there, right? That's what we do with younger, immature Christians. We are to carry them. We are to hold their hand. We are to help them walk. Until they get to the position of maturity and strength. We don't just put up with them. We help them. We carry them. And again, if I can reiterate the next thing. Seek to please others, not myself. The greatest enemy to unity in the church is selfishness. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. If I don't get pleased at church, I'm going to complain. If I'm not happy, if they don't do anything about my complaint, I'm going to find someplace else to worship. But if everything goes well, then okay, we're, we're happy. How many of you remember the musical Oklahoma? Sandy, I know you probably do. Remember that song? Remember, and, and remember, what was the guy's name? Uh, Curly? Was that his name? Curly McLean? Am I right on this? Curly McLean. He starts off the... the the, well, the movie and the musical by singing, oh, what a beautiful morning. You know, this, okay, I'm not going to sing it for you. But you, Why was the morning beautiful? Why was the day beautiful? Why did it start off beautiful? Because everything was going to go his way. That's why he thought it was beautiful. And that's what we do. If everything goes our way, oh, it's beautiful. Newsflash, it seldom goes our way. Am I right? I mean, everything doesn't. And I think this is why sometimes 
We don't see Sunday mornings as beautiful as we ought to because everything didn't go my way. We got to get self out of the way, guys. We got to put Jesus in the position that he deserves. And we got to start caring more about other people than we do ourselves. See the example of Jesus. That's the next thing. If you want to promote unity, you want to promote harmony in the church, you've got to see the example of Jesus and follow it. Even in the face of adversity, even while others are hurling insults at him, even when the religious leaders are making up stories about him, they're falsely accusing him, he didn't retaliate. You know why? Look at verse 3. It says, the insults of those who insulted you, God, have fallen on me. Jesus took all of those things, allowed those things to fall on him. And you know what else they said about Jesus? They said, you're a glutton. We know that he wasn't. They said he was a drunk. That he was a friend of sinners and prostitutes. And he didn't even try to defend himself. One day, here, they went so far as to say this, one day they said to Jesus, we know who our father is. You know what they were trying to imply? We know what happened, right? Teenage girl, she was a virgin, yeah, right. You don't even know who your daddy is. You're an illegitimate child. You think that hurt Jesus? Sure it did. He was human. But even though he could have retaliated, he didn't. Instead, he forgave. And he went to the cross and died for those same people who were mistreating him. Even as he's hanging on the cross. And they're hurling insults at him on either side and below mocking him he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing and he died for the very ones who were making fun of him he doesn't ask us to do anything even remotely close to that he just says treat others better than yourselves put others ahead of yourselves and that's a hard concept in our world because we're taught Use our strength, right, to get ahead. Exploit the weak. But Jesus came to flip that upside down. And so if you're sitting out there this morning and this message is like, man, I don't know if I can do that. Would you turn it over to Jesus this morning? Say, Lord, help me to put others first. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and the worship team's going to come and we're going to offer a song of decision. And if you're here and, and you need to make a decision, maybe to make a first-time decision to to follow Christ. Um, we, we believe that you confess Jesus as the Christ. You repent of your sins. You're baptized into him. You start living your life for him. We encourage you to do that. If you're watching online, just text READY to the church connection number. Uh, we'd reach out to, love to reach out to you, get to know you, talk to you about that. But if you're here this morning and, and you just want to spend a little bit of time in prayer, about this how can I do a better job of loving others how can I put myself aside or Lord help me help me Lord to not be so critical of those who don't think like I do who don't act like I do who don't have what I have but help me to come alongside them would you just spend a little bit of time praying about that 
We're going to lead you in a song of decision this morning. And some of you might need to make a public decision. Some of you might need to just take care of some business there between you and God. Whatever it is, would you just be obedient to whatever it is that Jesus is asking of you? Let's pray together.